Imagine being a 22-year-old in your very first leadership role and making the decision to fire one of your employees. Now imagine you're the same leader, but now 30 years have passed. How might that one event have shaped your entire career? What perspectives would you have gained about people, about relationships, about your own leadership style, about confidence and humility? Well, that's exactly what we're going to dive into on this episode of Confidence Covered by Humility. Let's get it started. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm so thrilled that you're here today because this is a wonderfully reflective, introspective conversation with Mr. Sean Van Slyke. I hope you enjoy it immensely and, and find valuable insights from our discussion today. Let's go. Sean is CEO and head coach of SEMO Electric Cooperative and Go SEMO Fiber. More importantly, he's a dad, a grandpa, and a founder of the Friday Feature. With more than 30 years of leading teams, Sean serves as a guide and mentor to individuals because he loves to see how people do things they never thought were possible. Now, I've gotten to know Sean through LinkedIn, and if you're not on LinkedIn, you need to be, and you should probably try to connect with Sean because his Friday features are amazing, and it's this little short videos uh, that he produces every Friday, and they're just very inspiring and very uplifting, and it just shows his heart and his passion for helping people achieve things, again, that they didn't think were possible. That prompted me um, a few weeks ago to actually read Sean's bio. That's something I hadn't done, and I was just sharing that with him, and he wrote this, I fired my first person at age 22. It was my fault. I was managing, not leading. More than 30 years later, my mission is to make other people's lives better, including yours. With that being said, Sean, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Well, thanks, James. It's exciting to be here because I followed you, you know, on LinkedIn as well. And what I see about you, James, is you're trying to make people's lives better by coaching and by helping uh, companies find find their magic, if you will, and their values. And you're you're a very core value-driven person, and you try to help others with that. So I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for the compliments on there. It's just, that's just been a, a huge piece of the professional journey that I've been on. That's where it started. And I, and I believe it's the, it's kind of like the origin and the end all at the same time. So thank you very much. Um, Sean, that story about you firing somebody, there was more that you have in your bio. And I just, I want to read that. And I want to let you just kind of talk about that whole situation and, and how that how that's evolved for you. So uh, what you went on to write was relationships matter. Stronger relationships equal more trust. You must be intentional. It takes focus. So walk us through that that time in your life. Yeah, if I go back in that time in my life, my wife and I had gotten married. We've been married now 35 years. But in, in, 19, um, in 1989, we just had our, 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 our daughter. And a month later, I found myself in the editor and public editor job at a newspaper. I had dropped out of college because I was an award-winning photographer. I'm very proud of that, but I didn't necessarily know how to manage or run a newspaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, at, at that age of being uh, 22 years old, I, I was I was awfully young and wet behind the ears, as they say. And uh, nine months later, I found myself as a publisher because the newspaper company fired the publisher, and all of a sudden, I'm in charge of everybody. And <laughs> Uh, when you're working with people and you don't, they're not doing their job, uh, I had to let somebody go. And I don't know if, uh, if she used more Kleenexes or I used more Kleenexes on that day. Sure. It was a corporate run newspaper. We were ch chasing earning, you know, earnings, trying to be financially sound. 
and it was really tough. And she was a salesperson and I had to let her go. And uh, after I let her go and after she left, the years go by, you look back and realize it wasn't her fault. It was my fault because I wasn't giving her clarity. I wasn't giving her goal, uh, maybe giving her goals, but I wasn't helping her every day to achieve her, to achieve her goals. And, it, you know, you can ask people to do things, but asking is different than leading them. I think that, man, you just said a couple of really deep things right there. Um, first of all, you said you weren't giving her clarity and, and then you weren't supporting her. Like you, you would say what needs to be done, but then you just, isn't this one of those moments where it's, you didn't know what you didn't know. It's, isn't it that simple? Yeah, it it is that simple. But, but, but when I look back and, and it didn't take me long to look back because I realized real quick that I've got to do something different here in this job. Uh, because I was so focused on doing it because I grew up on, with my grandparents on a, on a dairy farm and I married a dairy farmer and you have to milk those cows twice a day, whether you feel good or not, whether it's cold or hot, whether it's snowy or icy, they have, th- th- those ladies, those cows want to come into the barn and they have to be milked and, and it happens like that. And as a dairy farmer, if you will, I know how to work and I'll work all day and all night to get the job done. But as I coach young leaders today, I say you can do that, but you've got to turn around and make sure that you have people with you because, because you can push and push and push and work and work and work. But really what you want to do is bring that team with you and, um, and, and it's treating people with respect. And, and I, I can relate that to a lot of things. But in, in, that, in that time at 22, 23 years old, I learned a lot real fast about the fact that you have to lead people. You don't just manage them. At 22, I just, I'm just thinking about where was I at at 22? Now I was, I was a bit of an old soul. By the time I was 22, I had been married also, and I had a son and, um, you know, my, my friends were, were still living that single life and, and out a lot and partying. And here I was at home, you know, with Beth and I wouldn't trade it for a world. But at the time I, I just, I realized that um, I had, I had grown up through some choices, right? You know, choices that you make. I grew up a lot faster than maybe I ever either intended to or not. And it's, I was kind of wanting to just pick your mind about like, what is, how did humility come into that factor? Cause you know, I talk about humility and confidence here on this podcast all the time. So at 22, you're letting somebody go. You're, you're kind of having this own awakening of, um, you know, gosh, how did I, how did I you know, have a part in that. Tell me how humility played into that for you. You know, that's a great question. And I say that, and I, I do mean that because I, you're making, you're pushing me here to go back because we really didn't role play this necessarily. But when you asked me that question, my first thought came to my head, I had to feed my daughter. Yeah. I had to take care of my wife because at that age and, and James, I was, they offered me, I remember when I took the job in September of 89, uh, they offered me $240 a, a week. Mm -hmm. You can do your own math, Mm -hmm. Uh, but $240 a week. And I worked probably 60 to 70, 80 hours. And then when I became publisher, they flew me in a private plane to Dallas. Uh, They met me there. They offered me $400 a week. And this was 1989. So I I don't know, you know, or 1990 by now, $10 or $10 an hour. If you worked a 40 hour week, right? My wife would bring me food and clothes up there because I had my own bathroom there and shower. And I worked close to 80, 90 hours a week there. Man. I don't remember my daughter's first three years of her life uh, mm. because of that. Uh, I remember moments, but I don't remember changing her diaper. I don't mean, remember a lot of things. But humility played in the sense that I had to work just to put food on the table. 
and to pay our bills because uh, we had to rent a house and, and things that normal couples go through. Uh, but you've got this young daughter at home, and, and you know she she was, you know, we've been married a year and a half when we had her, so it wasn't a, you know it wasn't one of those things. But you just you had to become a dad and a father and a husband real quick. And I, yeah. I was young and I was naive. Uh, I wasn't very mature. I just knew how to work. And I had fire in my belly. That's why I got got hired. But uh, fire in the belly only goes so far. And when you make so many mistakes, uh, when you're learning to manage, to lead, to run a company, uh, you, have, you you learn a lot. And you, scuff, you fall on your nose. You fall down. Uh, there's moments where you're just going to cry alone because you don't know what you're doing. But you learn, and you'll get through it. So this this is a really interesting scenario for me because prior to hitting record, we were just talking about both of us have a passion for young leaders or newer leaders. It's been huge for me. And what I wanted to ask you was because you went through it and you had these struggles, you, you fell down, you hit your face, you skinned your knee, you know, all these metaphors that we might use. Same thing for me. How do you avoid swinging the pendulum you know, where you, maybe you didn't have all of those. You didn't have that guide, that sage, that coach in your life when you were there. So you learned from your own bumps and your bruises. You got back up and you kept going because you didn't have a choice. But now where you're at, how do you avoid the trap of uh, when somebody makes a mistake? Do you do you preempt it? Do you stop it? Do you rescue them too soon? Like there's a fine line to walk there. Like you don't want them to make a catastrophic mistake that could hurt the team or the company. But at the same time, you don't want to protect them from, they have to learn from mistakes. So how does that fine line work? That is a very fine line because in order for you to learn, you have to make a mistake. I, I can't teach you to ride your bicycle. You're probably going to fall down. Yeah. And you know, we, we have a new leader that's starting on Monday. He, he's moving uh, from uh, outside working. He's going to become a, a supervisor on Monday. On the same token, we have a 23 year old whose last day is today. He's leaving us. He's only been here less than six months, and we knew that coming in. But we hired him. He's very mature. But he's leaving to go to travel uh, several miles, you know, hundred miles away to go lead a, lead an, lead an organization and do some things. Wow. And I'm thinking, what he got from us and what we taught him here. I'm excited to watch him grow, and he's welcome to come back someday if he wants because the way he handled himself. Uh, the 40 year old coming in to to management on Monday. Uh, we're going to have to let him make a few mistakes. And, but those mistakes can't be unsafe, meaning somebody gets hurt, and they can't be financially uh, detriment to the company in the sense that it tears down the company in some fashion. But there's a lot of mistakes that can be made that aren't, uh, that aren't life-threatening to the organization, but they are things that they have to learn. And, and it's a very fine line because as a, as a father, as a grandfather, as a fixer, my natural tendency is to stop things before they ever happen Right. And that's my job to do that. So it's a very fine line, but they have to experience some of these things, whether it's working with the consumer that's upset about something or whether it's working with a coworker and working the details out. You know, sometimes I'll take them and say, if you want a locker room, if you want to, if you want me to settle this, I will. But I would encourage you two or you three to go into a room and work it out and then let's get together and figure out what we can do. But but I, I think it really starts on the first day that they come into the organization too, James. You have to set the expectations for them and you have to know what's acceptable and what's unacceptable, but you're never going to define everything. It's too difficult. Well, and I think the people that do try to define every little detail, then you start to flirt with micromanaging yep. 
you know, and that's, you want to stay away from there too. So, so you talked then about, you know, a a young man, a 23 who is moving on. You, you kind of knew that this was going to happen. Tell me, do you have a sense of pride in seeing that? Because not every leader does. I I, 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 I can't have them all leave, but I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled to death because I see leaders who pigeonhole uh, their people and keep them in spots because they're afraid to lose them. I, I would much rather let them uh, expand their wings while they're here and then watch them fly. And, and I don't say that lightly. I, I really do encourage, and we have a deal here. If you want me to coach, if, if the people come to ask me and say, Sean, I want you to coach me, then they have to reciprocate and coach me too. It, it's a two-way street. So, if, okay. you know, I'll be happy to coach you, but you've got to tell me when you see me doing things that I shouldn't. And as I, I've been here 12 years now, and when I look at, at the percentage of staff that were, was here when I came versus what's here today, it's really small. And uh, so if there's mistakes being made, it's my fault uh, because the predecessor's gone. Uh, it, it, it's my organization, if you will, from uh, it's our organization, but uh, I'm ultimately responsible for what happens. But I, I want to see these people succeed and do things. And, but if the succession planning is done right, and the 23-year-old leaving, do we have somebody backfilling him? And we do have somebody that we're, we're probably going to hire soon to do that. Uh, but we have a plan. And I, I, I get frustrated when people say I'm going to retire and they tell me, Sean, I've got two years, six days, and 12 hours, I'm going to retire. <laughs> sure. And my first thing I say is stop telling people that because you become a lame duck. And I didn't understand right. what that term meant when I was younger. Uh, but don't discount yourself. You know, Keep pushing forward and, and go to the end. And then when you're done, you're done, walk out. And I tell my leaders that it's my my problem. I just need two weeks from you. And there's some there's some positions that we'd like to have more than that. But if if we don't have a plan, it's our fault. It's not their fault. Well, I think that's that's so key what you said. And for for someone to move up or to move on, they leave a gap. They, there's a hole left on that org chart. And right. so much of what gets missed, especially in companies that are growing fast or they're just not paying attention to these things, as soon as somebody elevates or moves on, uh, there's a scramble. It's like, oh, we weren't prepared for this. And so I just think that's a vital piece of leadership is to make sure that you have somebody prepped and ready to go, not not um, that we've identified them. And so, James, this is going to be your new role. But no, you've actually been working with me in advance ready to go. That's, that's huge. And that's something that's just essentially important to me. Yeah. And, and if you ask the staff around here or the people that have worked with me at other places, they would hear Sean say, Sean's always saying, you're always interviewing. You're always interviewing. Yeah. Whether that's a customer, a consumer, or in our case, a member owner of a cooperative, you, you never know who you're talking to and, and you're always interviewing. You never know when your opportunity might knock and they may be internal. They may be external. They may be on the weekend at church. I don't know, but you're always interviewing, and it's hard. It's hard to be on all the time. I think that's why we have our personal lives when go into our homes and and be with our families. And but I still think even there, you're you're always interviewing with your family. So it, it, it's something that that you have to constantly work on and, and constantly be. But I, there's two things here, James. You made me think of why do people come to work? You know, if I ask you that, why do you work, James? You're working to make a living for your family. Mm-hmm. People seem to forget that sometimes, you know, yeah. you know, th- these are organizations and you can either create an organization where people want to come and feel part of it, or you can create an organization where people don't want to come, but they do because they feel stuck and they got to go there. 
And, and I don't, I don't, I do not want that at all. I want people to be glad or happy that they're coming. They don't have to be ecstatic, you know, but I want them to feel like they're valued when they come to work. And, and if they yeah. don't, then either I need to do something different or perhaps they need to move on. And, and uh, sometimes I have to say, you can work. You just can't work here. And, uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't like saying that, but sometimes that happens. Well, I think I think that's just an essential piece of what it means to establish a culture. I, you know, one of the the things that I, I think about that you've been talking about here in the last few minutes is very much in line with what I would say to um, CEOs that I might coach or founders that I coach. That you have two uh, among the the five or eight say primary job responsibilities you have. Two of them. One of them is is hiring, and another one, like at the one A, is to build and protect culture. Get get those right, everything else flows really well. Mm-hmm. Mess one of those up, things are going to go off the rails quick. And if you if you're not focused on either of them, you're probably not doing your job very well. Yeah, and that, that's more of a statement than a question on this one, James. But I think when you coach CEOs, I would I would be surprised. But I I remember when I left the last organization, I left a note in the in the te- in the desk. I wrote a note, and I didn't know who was following me, but I left a note, and I said, if you're expecting to do your job sitting at this desk, you're not going to be successful. Great advice. And and so, you know, I'm sitting where I'm sitting right now is our boardroom because we've actually run out of space uh, because we're growing so much. And this is either the second or the third time that I've actually moved out of the CEO's office or the general manager's office because when we grow, I don't – I really – I'm indifferent to where I sit uh, because I I typically – I'm out uh, walking around because I think managed by walking around and I typically find my work needs to be done in uh, hours that people aren't necessarily around. That's not for every day uh, like this. I've got to, you know, we're doing this today, but, um, but you've got to be with your people and whether it's, uh, I've been around, whether it's less than a hundred people or 300 people or 3000. I just talked to somebody the other day that has 7,000 people underneath them, you know, wow. and, and they have a, they have a, a, a video call every Thursday with 7,000 people and anybody can ask any question. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing. You have to make yourself available and accessible. So let me ask you a question. Uh, and we haven't talked about this, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of see how this unfolds here. But how about that? How about the uh, how about the statement of my door is always open? How do you feel about that one, Sean? Uh, if, if people come up here and the doors close, they know something they need to turn around and walk away. Uh, because I do believe your door needs to be open, but I think it's best to go to their door and walk through their door, not wait for people to come to your door. Man, I just, I had a sense that, that that's the, that's the, where you were going to go based on what you were saying, because that's, again, that's one of those things that I feel like I, I just get a little bit of a cringe when I hear somebody say that to me that I, I always tell my people, my door's always open. I'm like, can I ask you a question? <laughs> and and what I'll do is I'll just lean in and I'm basically saying, do you do you go realize that your door swings outward too, or or you can walk out of your office? Because you said managing by walking around, and I just think that's huge. What are the things that you experience when you get out of your office and you get to where people are working? What are the things that you tend to notice then, Sean? Or what are the things that you look for? Well, where where are you more, most comfortable at, James? Would you be more comfortable sitting in my house or in your house? Right. Right. So I know a lot of people that don't like to travel because they don't want to sleep in somebody else's bed or they don't want they may not even want to go to the hotel. Right. They want to be in their bed at home every night. And, that, and that's OK. I, I, I don't have that luxury. But 
I understand what they say because I get as I get older, I, I, I see that more. Uh, mm-hmm. And the fact that it's nice to go to your house. And I think when people work in their office or their truck or whatever their environment might be, if I go to them, they tend to be more relaxed and I tend to get information that I need. And, you know, in here I, I try to start uh, Tuesdays. I, I start in a different place. On Wednesdays I start in a different place. I, I've been places where I've had more offices with more people reporting you know, we had more offices, and, and I've tried to rotate that uh, different mornings of the week. But I, I think you you just got to go out there and listen. And you can't solve everything, and you're not going to solve everything. But letting them know that you're you you do care, I think, is pr- the biggest thing. Because if, if they don't if they don't trust you and they don't think you care, uh, you're not going to build a culture. The people, my office is one thing. I don't have the credibility on the street that they have. The, the people on the street, the people in front of the consumer have a lot more credibility than I do. And, and we're currently seeing things in, in our country right now uh, with different things going on. And, and the frontline worker has more credibility than the CEO. You, you have to believe that. So as a, as a CEO, what do I need to do? I need to give that person information. I need to let, let them underneath the tent once in a while and say, here's what's going on. There are certain things that you can't share and won't share. Uh, especially when it comes to personnel issues. But for the most part, uh, I'm very transparent in my leadership. I tell them often, you have enough information to sink the ship if that's what you want to do. But just remember, you're on the ship. And if right. you sink it, you're probably going to go down too. Yeah. So, but letting them understand the things that we have to balance. There's a, consist- there's a constant balance between uh, working safe and, and being productive and financially stable and and reinvesting in the business, it, 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 it's not easy. It has to be balanced. It has to be, you have to be very intentional about it. Hey everyone, this is James. And I want to let you know that I recently launched a free email course called the five day founder bootcamp for creating a thriving corporate culture. Now I know that it can be stressful, maybe even frustrating at times, trying to get everyone on your team working together to achieve your goals and objectives. Perhaps it's not that you're frustrated, but maybe you're just looking for a new and better way to reignite that spark in your high performers. Whatever unique challenge that you're facing, well, I designed the Thriving Culture Guide, keeping you in mind. Now think of this like attending a virtual boot camp, but here's the best part, you don't even have to leave your inbox. Each day contains some of my absolute best tactics and strategies to help you win at a game that your competition doesn't even know is being played. For example, the topic for day three addresses a topic that I get a lot of questions about. Like, James, how do we communicate and implement change through our culture? So you might be thinking, what if I'm not a founder? Is this still for me? Well, it is. And I just say it this way. If you're a conscientious leader who wants to improve the performance of your team, well, this guide was designed for you as well. Now, here's one of my favorite parts about this five-day course. You don't have to wait for days two, three, or four to show up in your inbox. Nope, this email boot camp was built to go at the pace that you want. So instead of patiently waiting, or maybe impatiently waiting for the next value pack lesson, you can click right on through and get it all at once. Go to thrivingcultureguide.com right now and get exclusive access today. I want to ask you about confidence also because... Mm -hmm. I think we spent a good chunk here talking about the the lessons of of humility, what it takes to be a good, humble leader, to ask questions, to get close to people. But what about what have you learned about having confidence also over the years and building that up or instilling it in others? 
couple of things just come to mind. Again, you didn't ask me these questions before, so it makes right. it more fun. It's more fun for me to do this this way. But two things: one, uh, to build confidence in other people. When we have a staff meeting, and we had one today, we had about 15, 20 people in there, and it's before my board meetings. I've had, uh, you know, I've conducted over two hundred board meetings now in my life, and, and, and it's a lot in the sense that you learn from them as well. Uh, but when we have staff meetings, in order to speak, to give your two-minute update to the team, you you have to stand up. And if somebody asks a question, they stand up, and, and it's just a continual practice, and we do that. And then when our folks travel and go to other places, they stand up and, and introduce themselves. It's not a big deal. Sometimes they're chastised or people say, sit down, you don't need to be standing up. Or they'll say, why do you stand up? And, and it's, and it's te teaching them confidence from the, from the beginning. Uh, the other thing, personally, I had a mentor of mine, Scott, and he taught me a lot of things. Uh, but one thing that he taught me three things is, one, run your, run your race, leave the emotions out of it, and stick to the facts. Ooh, and that helps good. me with my confidence because when I get in a tough situation or a tight situation, I go back to those three rules and, and I put them in my head. And they don't always work. I get emotionally sometimes or get mixed up in some things like that. But, but I try to run my race, meaning I've already – thought about this. And if you go back to the uh, uh, Charles, uh, I'm trying to think of his last name, Duhigg, the book, uh, Better, Faster, Smarter, mm -hmm. uh, Psychological Safety. Uh, people buy into that. Some, But if you read that book, the biggest part out of that book is successful people tell them stories all the time about what could happen before they walk into that room, before they get up. When they get up in the morning, what could happen today that I might have to deal with? Or if I'm going to go to that board meeting, or if I'm going to give my report, or if I'm going to work go outside and, and work on a project and put a new pole in the ground or I'm going to work in the hospital and do this. What could happen today? What am I preparing myself for that to occur? And again, you can't think of all situations, but you can. If I run into somebody that's in a bad mood today, what am I, what am I going to do about that? Uh, if a board member asks a question about something I don't know, how am I going to take a breath and, and settle down? So I think confidence is there, but I you know our friend Kyle still you know, we're all kind of LinkedIn friends, but the imposter syndrome is out there. And it's something right. that we've talked about. You know, I can have outward confidence, but I might be scared. To my, you know, I'm, my boots, I might be shaking in my boots because of what could happen. But I think leaders who have humility also have to have courage. And you also have to accept you have the worst job and the best job as a CEO because you're going to get to deal with a lot of great things, but you're also going to deal with some things that you don't want to deal with. And that's just part of it. It is so well said. Boy, there was a lot of depth to that. Uh, and it made me want to come back to something that I, I wanted to make sure I asked you. In your bio, it says you're the CEO and head coach. Um, I'd like you to just kind of share what that looks like and, and what are the differences between being a CEO and the head coach? Like what are some of the responsibilities that are different or, or what are the things that you're working on and how do you balance the two? It's tough sometimes, but as a CEO, I have to sign documents. I have to uh, work with our bankers. I, I have to work with things and things that I have to sign my CEO name. When I'm in the boardroom, I'm the CEO because the board, that, that's my, that's my, those are my bosses, right? Uh, but most of the other time, I'm just the head coach or the head custodian because I, I really believe my job is one, to be the chief steward of the organization and, and make sure that it's clean, that, it, that it's organized. Um, but, but coaching is something, and, and, and perhaps if I could go back in time, I might have. Uh, I'd like to coach against Deion Sanders right now, or Nick Saban, <laughs> or somebody like that, because I think 
I think from an analogy of a sports, I, I feel like that is. But people come come to work. They come to work to make a living. Now, how how they do that, that's up to them a little bit. But I feel like as a coach, I can either help them be better or I could turn a blind eye and not help them. But I, I think we owe it to them and break it break it down into to bite-sized pieces to help them grow and learn and excel. And they have to choose how far they want to go. And that's a whole nother conversation. But when we coach people, we have to understand what, what's their game plan. Do they want to stay in the area where they're at and always want to live in that area? Or are they looking to move or to expand? And you, you have to sit back and think about that because not everybody wants to move. Uh, not everybody wants to be the CEO either. Who do you spend the most time working with from that head coach role then? Is it your direct reports or is it people all around the company? And by the way, how large of a company are we talking here? Uh, right now we have 67, which is not that big. And I've been in organizations where we've had 300 or 3,000. And, and so sure. but what, what I find here and the reason I chose to leave the bigger organizations and come to the cooperative world was that opportunity to coach and really be invested in people. And, and you know, I, I I would say all levels. I think people around me would say I spend most of the time with my direct reports, but I try to spend as much time as I can with because I have my travel schedule. You know, you do travel; it's part of the job. Um, but I do try to get out, and uh, and people do feel free to come into my office and if they have questions. But you know, I, I try to I recognize everybody's birthday, and I try to recognize everybody's service anniversary. Uh, they all have my cell phone. I haven't had an office phone, James, in probably seven, eight, nine, ten years. I can't remember. Wow. I, I don't have an office phone. The only I have one phone number, and that's my cell phone. And I, I give that out to whoever, and I've done that for years. And uh, I find that people respect that. Uh, but if they need something, they'll call me or text me or, or, or come find me. Okay, so... I feel like um, I, I, as a listener, I, and once again, we're talking with Sean Van Slyke, who is the CEO of SEMO. Of uh, and I feel like if you're listening to this today, it, you might want to be taking some notes here because, and I, and I say that kind of frequently, but I, I, and again, I'm kind of a note taker myself, but I feel like, I feel like Sean, I don't know if you've written a book or I know you do speaking engagements, but I feel like there's so much content here over your experience, the years that you've had, you know, you mentioned leading 200 board meetings. I, I just, that's a number that's really a high number to me. And, and I know that those aren't always fun to do and they can go long and they can be very difficult at times. Um, are you working on a book or, or what are the things that you're talking about when you're asked to keynote? Cause I know you do keynotes. That's a funny question, only from the sense that we've had a first meeting with the, the book company. Oh, wow. Uh, but humility, imposter syndrome keep me from sitting down and doing my first assignment because I, I just feel like chat GPT, I could type it in there and it would just write the book for me. But that's, sure. not, that's, not, that's not how it works. But I, have, I do want to write a book. I have friends that have books and I want to write it. But uh, again, it's humility. And why, why would anybody want to read what I have to, to write? And mm. it, it's, it's hard. And I, and I think people tell me the first book's the hardest book because you got to get started. Uh, I just yeah. I read a book today and I looked up the author uh, early this morning and he said he's on a his 37th book, you know, and I'm trying to think, you know, that's a lot of books. Right. But, but the stories are out there to tell. And so the other answer to your question is I speak. I love to go out and speak when time allows. I'm very uh, intentional about my schedule. 
because I've got, you know, you have to take care of home first and then you can go right. do those sort of things. But when I go, I typically learn so much from other people. I bring it back here and apply it sometimes. But when I do speak, I really talk about our team first. And then I talk about how, how, to, how to drive an organization. Again, 67 and some people listen to this say, well, we have thousands of people. But I think the success, the formula will work whether you have uh, 10, 67, 3,000, uh, 30,000. And, and there's certain companies that I follow, and I'm not going to highlight necessarily anybody here today, but I follow people because they have large organizations, and I watch what they do with their culture. And it all comes back to caring. It all comes back to trust. And, and it comes back to being clear about what our expectations are. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, a talking point for me lately um, is, you know, a lot of times we're talking about employee engagement, and I know that's a, an area that you're going to talk a lot about too. And I, I've kind of simplified it down in in presentation form, but also just in a one on one. And and I was coaching somebody this morning, one of my clients, and I said, let me let me remind you of the three things that I think lead to high levels of employee engagement. First of all, people need to know what's expected of mm-hmm. them. Uh, too often do we we don't have job descriptions that that matter. People don't know what's expected on this particular project. Uh, and that leads to confusion. And if I'm confused, then I either work on the wrong things or I, I don't work on the most important things and I fill my day because I'm, I'm going to be conscientious about what I'm doing. So I work on these things, but it didn't really matter. So expectations. The second thing is, um, you know, what are the priorities? And there's competing priorities and priorities change. And it can often feel like we we have four priorities. So which of the priorities am I supposed to prioritize, you know, today? So those are ongoing conversations. And the third thing that I I believe that leads to high levels of engagement is going to be that I know how I'm doing as an employee. Mm -hmm. I know what my strengths are. I know what I've done well. I know what I need to work on. And a manager or managers you know, they pay attention to me mm-hmm. and they, they compliment me when I do something well, or they're giving me feedback on, Hey, you might not be aware of how you're coming across. And so we get into all these levels of feedback, et cetera. And I, but I think it really comes down to those three things. Would you, would you agree? Or do you have a different opinion or see maybe another piece to it? No, I, I, I agree with you. And I'm trying to look in the camera and not write all this down. If you talk to me, <laughs> I know we're recording it so I can go back and, and do that. But You know, when you say things, you're just, you know, I've got these things popping in my head, right? So (laughs) one time probably uh, it's been 15, it's been 20 years maybe now, but 1,700 employees, the vice president at the time asked me to write up the HR, uh, how we evaluate people, right? One, two, three, four, A, B, C, D, where did you fall? Uh, Because they wanted to develop the bell curve every year. So if you're an outstanding employee, you know, you're here and blah, blah, blah. I've been through that. I don't like that. I'm not a big believer in in rating employees once a year and saying you're either outstanding or you need help or you need to leave because that was frustrating to me as an employee. I believe that evaluations need to be ongoing all the time and feedback needs to be real and occurring all the time. And that's what I hope people would tell you that if you came here, you're going to get feedback all the time because if you sandbag and hold it, for six months or nine months, and then you tell me about it, I've, I've forgotten that day. And, and I'll go back to the ball, the football analogy, you know, or soccer. I used to coach U18 soccer, uh, girls soccer. And, and, the, and the girls knew that when coach was rubbing his head like this, uh, <laughs> something he was frustrated about something. And that's probably why I don't have my chair anymore. But, <laughs> but I did that for many years. And, and I learned if, if, if I waited, if I waited till after the game to coach somebody, I, I missed my opportunity. 
mm-hmm. during the game that you have to coach people because they can self-correct or they can correct right there and realize what's going on. And it's the same way with me. I want them to tell me right then that if they see something, tell me because uh, this is real life. And, and again, we always go back to what, why are you coming to work? And that's to take care of your family. And some people may come work just for joy of going to work. It's fine. Um, but I think most people come to work uh, to take care of their family, uh, take care of themselves. But uh, they have to have clear expectations. And, and, and as I've gotten older, I'm probably less clear with some of my folks because I want them to be the ones who are driving, driving sure. things and not me so much. Yeah, no, and that's good. And, and you're passing that, that responsibility on to them. Sean, you're, you're definitely what I would call an encourager. And, and I've seen that not only just through this conversation today, uh, but I also see it in your, in your Friday feature videos. So I'd like for you maybe just to touch a little bit on why you do those Friday features. What was the, what was the origin of those? And why is encouragement important to you? Why is encouragement important? Because I, I need encouragement and, and we all yeah. need encouragement. Otherwise, I think we end up sitting in a dark room alone and, and afraid. And, and I think we all do that at times anyway. Depends on moments in our life. But I think everybody needs encouragement. And, and where do people get that? I, I don't know where they get it. I think you get it all day long. I think just the sun being out sometimes is encouragement. Uh, because if you've been around gray days for I mean, days on end, people get get down. And, and I think people need to look forward to something. I, I'm a big believer in always having something on our, our scheduling for employee engagement. Going back to that, that question real quick is I, I'm always out there saying, okay, we've got this event in October. We've got this event in December. We've got this in February. And Oh, by, by the way, year from now, we're going to be doing this. I mm-hmm. believe you have to have something that people look forward to. Otherwise they might start looking backwards more than they're looking forward um, but the Friday, that's why the Friday feature started. The Friday feature started because of COVID. I had, think about, I had thought about doing something like that and always wanted to, but during COVID, uh, week, week zero, people were hurting. They, they, were, they yeah. were panicking. They didn't know what to do. And so I, I did a video on, on, on uh, one week, and I would call that zero. I did it for our team here and put it out, I think, on our company YouTube. And then I started uh, the last week of March, I started the Friday feature on a Friday and, and I've made a lot of mistakes doing that, but, but it, it's continued. Uh, I, there are some weeks that I want to stop doing it, but then I'll get a note from one person who will say I needed that today and that's enough to encourage me to keep going. It's not yeah. a financial, it's not a financial, as you know, some of these things don't always, they're not, they're not necessarily um, your, your moneymaker or, or make right. a living at it. Uh, but it, it's grown to the point that I don't know how to turn it off. And, uh, and, and going back to your book thing, I'm wanting to take the Friday features and make a book out of them, but it's just it's just time. Uh, it's focus, and uh, it's got to be the right season to do that. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point. You know, the right season is um, – it, it, it might not just be right now is the mm-hmm. best time for it. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. What would you say um, that, that you're currently doing – or working on that's given you a sense of joy or a sense of fulfillment or accomplishment? My, my everyday thing is just watching my team grow. Yeah. Challenging them to do more than they thought was possible. Uh, challenging them to coach each other and teach each other to make this area that we live in be- better than what we found it. And I think on a personal level, it's, it's just continuing to, to look forward, to, to look at those things that, that maybe my wife and I, we want to do together and watching our grandchildren uh, grow up, um, 
you know, I recently had back surgery in, in, in May and I, I started walking. I, and now that I've been walking at least three or four or five times a week, I, I look at, in the mirror and I say, why didn't you do this a long time ago? And mm-hmm. it's because I wouldn't stop and do it. And, and I typically find myself walking about seven or eight o'clock at night. Uh, there's a park that's well lit and it works out for me. Uh, may not work always for my wife, but it, wor- it works for me to get there. But I can clear my head and uh, walk two, three, four miles a night, and it, it helps me. So I think I think professionally, it's it's coaching my team, it's coaching our team, coaching, uh, watching them grow. Personally, it's trying to be in better health so that when my grandchildren are much older, I'll be here to watch them graduate uh, from high school or whatever they end up doing. How many grandkids do you have, Sean? Well, we have two, and I know you're a grandfather too. I am, yeah. So two of them now as well. Yeah, yeah. Six. They're six and eight. And how old are yours? You're, you, uh, three and a half, and and a, literally a newborn. Brand new. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw a picture of you holding. I believe. And, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a special thing, but it gives you it gives you a little more empathy. Uh, it shows that your heart can get even bigger. Uh, and and it, it's just it's a wonderful thing. Our, ours live about two thousand miles away, so I don't get to see them as much as we probably like to. But um, but FaceTime and and it makes the visits when we do see them extra special. There you go. Yeah, yeah. and that makes you get a, an opportunity to support them that much more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what are you? Um, I just want to ask you like one question here. It's it's. Um, kind of winding down the podcast here. And I, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this, but what advice would you give to someone who is new to leadership? What's the, what's the go-to advice that you would give them? Uh, one, make sure that you listen. Um, mm. Because when you move into leadership, you're going to have fear of people who are going to tell you the truth. Uh, they're going to tell you what they think that you want to hear, or they're going to tell you what, they want to tell you, and it may not be necessarily the best thing for the organization, um, but you have to listen and, and perhaps listening when uh, people don't think you're listening in the sense that that's why if I sit in my office all day, I'm not hearing what's going on. But if yeah. I walk out to the, the, the counter where the, where the consumer comes in or I go out to the field and, and see, a mem- see a consumer out there, I hear different things. I just think listening is, is one of the biggest thing. And then you've got to learn to trust. Who are you going to trust? Uh, who's, who's, who's going to tell you the truth and who's going to let you know what's really going on. And you have to find those, those people. But I, I have a, I have six tips back here uh, right behind me on the wall and everybody gets, a, gets these, uh, you know, be early, smile, act safe, move with purpose. Don't gossip and give thanks. And, and I think that last one might be, as a leader, might be uh, one of the most important things is to have gratitude yeah. and to give thanks to people. Because as a leader, you're going to want to try to take credit for a lot of things. But if you just give that credit away, uh, you'll be surprised uh, how that works. And um, you know, I'll, I'll, I could tell you something about taking photos if you want here in a minute, James. But I, I think I think highlighting other people is some of the magic to a good leadership. Well, I would love to hear about the photo thing because there's something about me that you aren't aware of, and we both have a passion for photography. Yeah, yeah. I started my career in, in I, I opened my own studio uh-huh. in 1996 or seven, uh-huh. somewhere in that area, and I did, and I got, I burnt myself out of it, and uh-huh. and I, it's a long story for a different day, but I'll just say this: 
it, it had to do with a wedding, but, um, I, sh- I, I shot a bunch of weddings. We did, um, graduations, we did family pictures, things like that. And, uh, that was always, that was a way to earn money doing it. But my real passion was landscape photography. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm still, I still have it. And when we go on vacation, I always have, well, it's pretty much just a phone now, but, uh, I'm, I'm kind of threatening to get back in the photo mm-hmm. game, not as a business, but just for fun, yeah. pure enjoyment for me. Everybody's carrying a phone around today. Mm-hmm. And on that phone, there's a camera. We used to have to carry a camera bag uh, right. with camera and with lenses. And I think leaders so often miss the opportunity to take pictures of their teams and not worrying about getting their picture taken. Uh, because I like to go out with our team. I like to take pictures with our team. I like to put them in our magazine that we send out to, to our consumers, to our members. I like to put them on our website. The biggest thing about that is don't embarrass your employees. Uh, if they're in right. bad light, if they're not, if they're crumpled, if they just don't look good, then you got to take 15 different photos. But I see leaders that struggle with that because they don't want to do it, or they don't want to stand up in the middle of a meeting, or they don't want to, they don't want to be embarrassed because they're taking a picture. But I promise, young leaders out there and old leaders as well, use that camera you have in your pocket, and even if you can't publish it somewhere. Text a picture to that employee or to your friend and say, hey, I just thought you might like this picture. It's not that hard to do. It's, it's too easy to do. Um, but there, people are missing a great opportunity. And by highlighting other people, I promise you that sunlight comes back on you. That's really great. That's really great advice. I love that perspective. Well, Sean, uh, as people are, are maybe discovering you for the first time or, or hearing you more in depth than they've heard in the past, what's uh and they want to reach out to you what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you uh, the best thing is just text me at 573-703-7694 uh, i'll try i'll do my best to get back to you in a timely manner uh email sometimes doesn't work because it goes to spam so again just five, sure. 573-703-7694 i am who i am and um you know it, it's been a long journey i've made a lot of mistakes and i just try to help other people from for making mistakes too, but sometimes you have to in order to learn. But what great advice, right? Right to close it down there. I, I love the fact that you're willing to give your number out. I love the fact that you're just that real person. And and again, it is we are this tapestry of of experiences that we've had. That includes the successes and the setbacks and the the losses and the goof ups and all those things. And uh, uh, the more that we can just embrace that, I think that just helps us be better. Yeah. You know, so. I, I truly I'm grateful for you for you making time uh, on a Friday afternoon to do this with me. And, um, you know, um, I wish you all the best in, in and I really want to stay in touch with you and just keep keep learning more about what you're doing down there. Well, please do that, Jamin. It's been an honor to be on here with you because I see what you're doing by helping other people. And ultimately, if we can help other people um, and bless their lives, uh, that, that's when we get to the end and we look back. Uh, we're not going to be worrying about how much money is in our bank account. We're going to wonder how many lives we touched. Amen to that for sure. Well, th- again, thank you, Sean. And uh, thank you listeners uh, for making time to do this. And if you found value in this, would you just give this a share with somebody and let, let more people know about, you know, the great kind of content that, that people like Sean and others are sharing on this podcast. It makes, uh, it, it makes a difference. And so I want to thank you all. And we look forward to catching you again on the next episode of confidence covered by humility.